Hello, Texans. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you with us along the ride. Hit subscribe wherever you got this from, and let's get into it here. We have Noah Brown coming up in a little bit. He'll talk about his 153-yard receiving day and the 75-yard catch and run. That was awesome. We'll also have, at the end of the podcast, if you want to hang around long enough, a Houston Methodist doctor on the RSVs that are going around. COVID still going around? Is it? We'll check in with him some Houston Methodist minutes, but let's begin here. Huge game with the Cincinnati Bengals coming up. I mean, come on. This is awesome. Going for five in a row up there at Cincinnati. It all started in 2009 with the Texans victory, and I wrote about this, the 2011 division clincher for the first time, the 2015 beating 8-0 Cincinnati at the time. The Texans came in at 5 or 3-5 and and left with a 4-5 and record, but a whole lot of momentum as they eventually won the division, bouncing back from a 2-5 and start. That was awesome. But this has so much national attention with C.J. Stroud versus Joe Burrow. So let's visit with the play-by-play announcer of the Bengals, Dan Horde. Dan, how's it going, my friend? Mark, life is good. How are you? Uh, doing well, and it's funny because you and I started to talk a lot in 2011 when the Texans beat the Bengals to win the division for the first time, and I knew that there would be some battles over the years, but my goodness, these franchises have been through a lot in the last decade plus. Uh, the Bengals, obviously, having recently been to a Super Bowl, Joe Burrow, outstanding quarterback, certainly one of the top three in the league. Tell me how it's going right now because I know he was – unhealthy early rough start but right now the Bengals look as good as any team in the NFL and it's all because of Joe Burrow's right calf he hurt his calf on the second day of training camp missed the entire camp and tried to play at the beginning of the season I'll give him credit for trying to gut it out because he still was not completely healthy and in the Bengals first four games I don't know what the most famous statue is in Houston but whatever it is picture that statue standing seven yards behind the line of scrimmage and staying there regardless of what was happening on a given play. So it gave the opposition a sitting duck target. They didn't have to worry about their pass pass rush lanes. There was never the threat that the quarterback was going to scramble. They were so limited offensively because Joe just couldn't move. Well, the calf is healthy. He looks like the Joe Burrow of old. And as a result, they've won four straight. They've won five out of six. And I believe they're one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah, besides Burrow playing well, what else is going well for the Bengals right now, Dan? The defense has been good throughout, even early this season when they were losing. And in some of those games, the the final score was lopsided. I thought that the defense played well enough to win. It was just the offense couldn't stay on the field. The defense was being put in short field situations time and time again because the offense was so feeble. In their season opener, the Bengals didn't even have 10 first downs against Cleveland because the offense could do nothing. So the defense has been good throughout. It's been really good lately. If you look at the Bengals' last two games, they faced the Bills and the 49ers. Those are two of the best offensive teams in the league. Neither team was able to score 20 points against Cincinnati. So a healthy Burrow and a really good defense is a potent combo. Dan Horde, the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals, joining us on Texans Radio. Talk to me about the running game with Joe Mixon been inconsistent it wasn't good on Monday night against Buffalo although he did make a great run at the end of the game to seal the victory two weeks ago against San Francisco they had their best rushing performance of the year so uh, there there at least has been a recent game where it was good but for the entire season I would say that's been a bit of a disappointment again part of it was the offense was so limited in the first four weeks 
the defense knew that one of two things was coming, either a really short pass to get the ball out of Burrow's hands before he could get hit, or a run out of a shotgun formation because Joe Burrow was not capable of being under center for the first four games of the season. So I think there are reasons for why the run game hasn't been very good, uh, but the bottom line is it has not been very good. Dan, a little bit more on Burrow here, just having him around. I know the rookie year he got hurt, but you saw the signs for sure. And obviously we saw the Super Bowl appearance. What's he like to be around? What's he like as a player, maybe in the building, that sort of thing? Uh, Mike Tirico from NBC Sports, I think, coined the perfect description uh, for Joe Burrow's personality. He He has a likable cockiness which are two words that you rarely put together. Usually cocky people are people that you don't like. But somehow Joe Burrow has the ability to put it on, to pull it off. He's so comfortable in his own skin. He's very cool and confident uh, that that permeates throughout the building. From his first day in the Bengals locker room, you just had the sense that, all right, this guy's going to lead us where we want to go. And that's exactly the way it played out. You mentioned the horrific knee injury his rookie year. The next year was the year they went to the Super Bowl. So he wasn't even 100% yet, and he took the team to the Super Bowl. They went back to the AFC Championship game last year, and now they seem to be ascending toward another postseason run based on the way they're playing right now. Outstanding. Okay, AFC North Texans are 1-1 one one in that division so far. You have the Ravens after the Texans. They can't look ahead, but we can. What do you make of the Ravens this year, Dan? Bengals faced the Ravens in week two. Again, that was back when Burrow was in mobile, and it was a great game. It was in Cincinnati and Baltimore won late. Uh, I thought that the Ravens were going to be one of the NFL's best teams this year because whenever Lamar Jackson has been healthy, they've won. Now, it hasn't extended to the postseason yet. He's only got one playoff win in his career. But I think if you look at his regular season record as the Ravens' starting quarterback, they've won something like 75% of the games. Uh, I think Cleveland and Baltimore have the best defenses in the NFL right now, or at least the AFC right now. And again, with Lamar healthy, that offense always seems to function well. So that's going to be a big showdown next Thursday night for the Bengals, uh, having to head to Baltimore and trying to beat them on the road in the Thursday night game. Dan Horde, voice of the Bengals, joining us. What about the Steelers? Texans beat them pretty decisively here at NRG Stadium, but they find ways to win for sure as the entire division is above 500 and playoff bound if the season ended today. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's seven teams that go to the playoffs in the AFC, and right now four of the seven would be the four teams from the AFC North. So that tells you about the strength of the division. I'm still a little skeptical on the Steelers. I don't know how they're doing it. They have been outgained in every single game this season, and yet they're two games over 500. How do they do it? Well, I think they're plus eight on turnover margin, so that's a big thing. But watching their games, they seem to make one huge game-changing type defensive play in the fourth quarter, and Kenny Pickett throws one big pass to either George Pickens or Deontay Johnson, and that seems to be enough. Uh, they don't really just seem to do anything else well in the first three quarters of the game, but they make a couple of big plays, one on offense, one on defense in the fourth quarter, and that seems to get them wins. So it doesn't seem sustainable. It seems to me if you get outgained every single week, you're not going to keep winning, but credit Mike Tomlin and that group so far this year that managed to get it done. What's your take on the Cleveland Browns? Texans faced them December 24th, Christmas Eve. Obviously, Watson in and out of the lineup, great defense. What are your thoughts on them? 
Incredible defense. That's the best defense in the NFL, in my opinion. They're, they're two games over 500 entirely because of their defense. They held uh, Arizona last week to less than 100 yards in the game. Uh, Clayton Toon, Houston people are familiar with him. I think he finished with 55 passing yards in that game. Miles Garrett's in contention for not only Defensive Player of the Year, but MVP, in my opinion. He's been that good. Uh, the Bengals could get nothing going offensively when they face the Browns this year. So if if they get decent play out of Deshaun going forward, that is a legitimate candidate uh, to make a postseason run. I know I asked you this years ago, Dan, but tell me your latest on what is Cincinnati like as a sports town? If I was an outsider asking you that question, what's your response? Resilient, <laughs> because... Uh, their teams, whether it's Bengals fans, Reds fans, uh, college fans here, uh, there have been periods where their teams have been down for an extended period of time, and they remain loyal, and uh, and it pays off when the team makes a turnaround. So the Bengals Super Bowl year a couple of years ago is the perfect example. Anytime you're a fan of a team that's good, that in and of itself is fun. But if it's entirely unexpected, I don't think it gets any better than that for a sports fan. So that season two years ago, the Bengals had won four games the year before, two games the year before that. Uh, nobody had high expectations for the team, and they go on this storybook fantasy-like Super Bowl run that probably would have been the greatest uh, underdog Super Bowl winner in history had they pulled off the win against the Rams. And fortunately, that game you know got away from them the final two minutes. But – uh, they remain on that high from that Super Bowl run and from the AFC championship trip last year and, and now watching this team ascend again with Joe Burrow. Uh, Bengals fans are definitely, um, you know, basking in the glow of having one of the NFL's best teams. Dan Horde, voice of the Bengals with us. You also call Cincinnati Bearcats games, Dan. So I know it's a nightmare season right now. We're talking about a dream come true with the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. The Bearcats are 0-6 in the conference right now as they embark on Big 12 play. But what's the outlook moving into the future for them? Well, it's hard for Cincinnati fans to believe this right now because the team was in the four-team playoff two years ago. So expectations have been really high around here recently. But Cincinnati had a coaching change. Luke Fickle did an incredible job, took the head coaching job at Wisconsin, got a new coach in Scott Satterfield. And it's, there's a little bit of a deja vu uh, going on for longtime University of Cincinnati football fans. When there's a coaching change, typically there's a dip. It takes a year or two to get their own culture in and, and establish the coaching staff and the things that they want to do. And then historically, whatever league Cincinnati has been in, within a few years, you're one of the better teams in the league. So that's what I think is going to happen. I guess you never know for sure when a new coach comes in. But I'm basing it on the history of this program over the past 25 years. Give whatever coach they hire two or three years, and they're usually pretty good. So I would expect Cincinnati to bounce back from a tough year one under Scott Satterfield and be solid in a relatively short period of time. Have you ever had a close call calling a Bengals game after a Bearcat Saturday? <laughs> uh, yes, I have. Um more with the pregame show than the game itself. I've never really cut it close for being there in time for kickoff. Uh, we go on the air 90 minutes before the game, and sometimes it's pretty close. 
for me to get there in time for that. In fact, that was the case two weeks ago. The Bearcats played a night game at Oklahoma State, Stillwater, Oklahoma, Saturday night at 8 p.m. The Bengals were in San Francisco the following afternoon, 425 kickoff. I got there in time for the pregame show by about 10 minutes. So it was mm. uh, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, but I answered the bell. You made it. Okay, and I know you're going to make it on Sunday when the Texans take <laughs> on the Bengals. Dan, one more for you. What, is, what are your thoughts on the Texans from the outside looking in? Well, I watched last week's game, and uh, I think the Texans are in the position the Bengals were three years ago when Joe Burrow was a rookie. I mean, when you get that guy and you know you have that guy, and C.J. Stroud certainly appears to be one of those guys, uh, you know, you can, you can anticipate special things to come, and I think that's going, what's going to happen with Houston. Obviously, there's a lot of draft capital uh, that the team acquired over the past uh, several years, and once you have the quarterback, everything else seems to fall into place. So between C.J. and Tank Dell and some of the other young players on that team, I've been very impressed. All right. Well, we'll see how impressive it is on Sunday. Looking forward to the matchup. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Mark, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. There's my friend Dan Horde, voice of the Bengals. Now, let's get into it with Noah Brown. Johnny Harris and I checked in with him following the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and in advance of what is going to go down at Cincinnati. It definitely wasn't a pretty game um, for four quarters, but, you know, at, at halftime we made a decision that we weren't coming back in the locker room without a win. So, you know, we, in the second half, we were prepared to do everything we could to get that done, and, and we were successful in doing that. So you get in the second half. I want you to take me through the touchdown because I've always wondered what it's like because I was always slow, and that stuck me on defense. What is it like when all of a sudden the, it, the seas open and you just have running room in front of you? So take me through the, the crossing route that you take for a touchdown. What happened, and when did you know, oh, man, I'm about to house this thing? Uh, I mean, well, we had a pretty clean game plan. I think we had specific looks we were looking for from Tampa that if we got them, we knew it could be big plays. So, um, you know, we were kind of preparing for that all week. So I knew in the huddle that it could be a big play. And obviously Tank threw a great block to help extend it. And, uh, you know, we capitalized. So when you get to the sideline are you, and you just see green grass, what do you, what do you think? You just run like all get out? Because the five-yard line, you got Davis coming from the other side. At that point, you've run a long way where you're like, this guy's not stopping me from the end zone. Right, yeah. At that point, I'm just thinking get to the house. I mean, I've, I've had two catches this year. I got down on the three and the yeah, two-yard yeah. line. So <laughs> I, that, that wasn't happening again. Were you catching some grief from the receivers? Because I know that happens with the running backs all the time. Like, oh, man, you're supposed to be fast. You got yoked. Were you thinking about that at yeah, all or just like getting in? Nobody really said anything about the past two, but it was That's bothering good. me. So <laughs> we had Most to get importantly, that right. Yeah. But the Tank Dell block right there. In the receiver room, I have to think they're going to be showing that one to everybody and maybe in Absolutely. the team meeting room as well because unselfish play and doing the little things that help you do your job. What about that component of the game, Noah? Man, that's huge. And to get it from a rookie uh, like Tank, it, it speaks numbers or volumes for the kind of guy that he is and where his head is at as far as the game goes. You know, he's willing to do anything to help us win. And, you know, whether it's him getting the ball or him throwing a block, he'll go out there and do it. So super proud of Tank. Noah, yesterday, three guys end up with 100-plus yards receiving, which I think was the first time since 2020 that that has happened. And I've thought about your receiver room, and it includes Dalton because Dalton had you know 10 catches yesterday as well. It feels like, outside of looking in, they're in a one of y'all that really cares 
that he got 100, you're happy for the team. Obviously, you won't get yours, but you're happy for a guy that got 100. Like, Nico got the touchdown. He had 54 yards receiving. He wasn't part of that 100, but he was just as happy for y'all getting 100. Is that the way the receiver room is, kind of the pass-catching group? Like, we don't care who gets it. We just want the team to get it. Absolutely. I think we we all have a great appreciation for each other's games and, and what we bring to the table. And, and we know that there's enough for everybody. So, you know, we get excited when each other makes plays. And, you know, we feel as a receiver room that, that we contribute greatly to the offense and, and how we go. So, you know, we take pride in whoever it is out of our room making that play. Yep. All right, C.J. Stroud, let's talk about him for a moment. What are you seeing so far out of the rookie? Sets another record yesterday. We joked about it, but it's no joke that we go for the record books almost every time he plays. So what do you see from him so far, Noah? Uh, C.J. is special. Uh, just, it's, it's mainly his mindset, um, how he prepares for the game, the way he sees the game, um, and he's able to go out there and play with total confidence. I, I know a lot of times you see rookie quarterbacks, they're a little hesitant, might be late to get the ball out. CJ knows exactly where he wants to go, and he's going to get it there. And, you know, we have complete trust in him, you know, running through tight windows that he'll get it there, and he's done an excellent job. Okay, did I see you doing OH, a uh, little celebration with CJ on the yes, sideline yes, afterwards? Sir. Yes, sir. Did, did you guys have any any connection? I know there, there's age difference, um, but did you have any connection with CJ before uh, you guys ended up here linking up in Houston? Not really. No, we didn't overlap at all at Ohio State. Um, you know, I, I knew about him. I followed him yeah, since yeah. I had left. But you right. know, we didn't have too much of a relationship before. But what here. is it about that? You know, we talk about this because Mark used to call games for the Miami Hurricanes. They always say it's a Kane thing. But you kind of see that brotherhood with the Ohio State guys, too. You know, it feels right. like no matter what year you play, there's always this, you know, hey, I played Ohio State, I played Ohio State. Like, there's always this connection that you guys have. What is, what is it about that place um, Ohio State, where you guys have that brotherhood. I mean, I think the culture at Ohio State is the is the culture there, and I don't think it changes very much. Um, I think we all have similar experiences that we've gone to. Um, you know, we've had to compete in similar ways. Yeah. Um, you know, we just come from the same type of environment that allows us to have a little bit of uh, chemistry off the bat. Yep. Noah Brown with us. Noah, what kind of effect did it have on the team when you see what Daria Gunbowale was able to do? <laughs> with his new job as place kicker. Maybe it was just a one-day job, but you see at the half he kicks off and he's got to handle the kicking duties for the rest of the way. How did that affect the team? Did that lift you guys up? Uh, I think it definitely gave us some energy. Um, you know, I, I can't lie, I've never seen Dari kick a ball before mm -hmm. Sunday. So um, for him to do that, that speaks to him as an athlete, um, as a competitor, because you know, to kick a go-ahead field goal and you're not a kicker, that's, that's, that's a serious thing. And he got it done for us and it was huge. As an offensive player, did did you were you guys aware of that? Did you guys know that, or did you come off the field and go, "Wait a second, we're kicking a field goal. Who's kicking the field goal?" Were you guys aware of that whole situation? How did that kind of play out in the second half? No, I mean we we were aware of it coming out of halftime because you know we were kicking off to them coming yeah, yeah, out of yeah. half, so we knew we were going to have to go down and cover more kicks and stuff like that. So we were aware of the situation. All right, final drive. Used a couple of timeouts early, had to use them, and then you have the catch where they got to run up to the line quickly and spike it, right? Mm -hmm. So what's going through your head right there? Oh, my gosh. You know, it's a five-alarm fire, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, not. I, th I think we go through these situations a lot um, throughout the week. Um, and, you know, another point on CJ, that first catch I had, um, CJ adjusted my route. Um, I had ran that same route probably three times during the game, supposed to be at 15 yards, but – they were sitting at 15 yards because they recognized it. He told me to run a little bit shorter, ran shorter. He popped the ball on me, and we're, we're moving. So that, that just speaks to CJ and how he thinks the game and how he takes control of the Wow. Offense. No, the catch to, to Tank, you guys are on the same side. It looked like you guys are running double posts against 
against quarters and we're were, who was the primary receiver on that, or was it just a read? If the safety jumps, you he throws the tank. If the safety stays, then it's you. What was kind of the read in that final play for you? You realized that were you the clear out guy, or were you the guy that he was going to throw to if that safety didn't move? Oh uh, yeah, no, that that was just a play. You know, just stressing the one high safety, um, making him make a decision. You know, on that play, we're both thinking we're the number one option. Yeah, it's on the it's on the safety to make his decision, and he did, and we capitalized. Yeah, D'Amico Ryan's. Tell me about him. I know he coaches defensive side of the ball, but he's the head. coach coach and he's a person who I think a lot of people gravitate toward and get motivated by how do you see him your relationship with the head coach uh, he, he brings a ton of energy um, he, he never lets us lose our edge our focus uh, you know he, he demands a lot of us uh, throughout the practice week and I think it makes it easier for us to be calm in situations like we just had on Sunday because you know we go through a lot of stress during the week and, and D'Amico makes sure we're ready for it no the game in Carolina I think it was probably frustrating for a lot of people. Uh, obviously, frustrating for yourselves because I know you guys were out there that day thinking, man, we're a lot better offense. What was kind of the key going from Carolina, going to Tampa Bay to take, an, take a performance that I know you guys were totally proud of in Charlotte, but then turning it around and having an offense that just blew it out of the water against Tampa Bay? Was there kind of a key going through the week to get you to that point? You know, tighten up the focus a little bit more. I don't think we did anything crazy different game plan-wise. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think we threw any wrinkles in, really. It was just a heightened focus and, and everybody doing their job, preparing a little bit better, and we saw the benefits. Yep. All right, Noah. Thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck. Appreciate it. There's Noah Brown. Now, as promised, I told you, if you hang out long enough, you get some medical information here. Free medical information from Houston Methodist, Dr. Josh Septimus, talking about RSVs and such. Doctor, how's it going? Everything's great. How about you? Uh, Doing well, and I'm glad I don't have a respiratory illness because I know some of that is going around. And you and I spoke last year. It might have been worse last year, and I say that with a question mark in my voice. Is that worse or better this year in general, respiratory illnesses going around? Remains to be seen is the only answer I could give you. It is really early in what used to be just called flu season, but that now we would call COVID season, flu season, and respiratory syncytial virus season. Um, So uh, we will see. Is it hard for the layperson to tell if they have COVID or not without taking the test? Because some of the symptoms are the same as an RSV, correct? It's almost impossible. Um, You know, the common cold, which we are seeing a lot of right now, is actually none of those three. It's just rhinovirus. Um, and one of the unique things about COVID is that it can look like a common cold or even like allergies, or it can give you the full-on body aches and high fevers uh, and cough of the flu. Um, respiratory syncytial virus tends to be very focused on severe coughing, tends to have a fever, and can be very deadly in newborns as well as in the uh, what, what Paul Offit from uh, Chop calls the elderly elderly. Um, but these are all, you know, potentially serious infections. Without the season kicking into high gear yet, how many or how often do you see patients that turn out to have COVID these days? Well, so we saw in late summer, if you may recall, a huge upswing in Houston. Uh, and every city is going to be a little bit different, but in the Houston area, huge upswing. That went down at the very end of the summer, and we've seen a slight uptick now. Um, We're still not even close to where we were in the late summer, but we are starting to see an uptick. 
And what about masks? Because I see some people wearing masks and I don't want to ask. I don't want to be impolite. I'm wondering, do you have COVID or do you have an RSV and you don't want to spread it? Or are you trying to prevent yourself from getting one? What is your general take on that? It's got to help a little bit. Or how do you see it, doctor? Well, you're just trying to get me into hot water. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I I think... um, First of all, when someone's wearing a mask in public, we have no idea. It could be that they have an immune problem and so they're trying to protect themselves. It could be that they have a respiratory tract infection and they're trying to to protect others. Um, I would break it down this way. If you are sick and it is at all possible to stay home, I would, Um, particularly with COVID because it's an aerosol as opposed to just a droplet. Um, So it's much more contagious than, say, the flu, even if you're wearing a mask. Um, If there is some reason why you must go out, you want to make sure if it's COVID that you're wearing an N95 or a KN94 mask. Um, And, you know, if you've got the flu, you've got RSV, again, same advice. I, I really would try to stay home if you can. In terms of protecting yourself, really the KN94 and the N95 masks are the only ones that are going to effectively shield you with any degree of certainty from COVID. Um, and, uh, and so if you do have an immune problem, you are elderly and at risk. An N95 or a KN94 mask is your best bet. Now, really, if you want to be as you know specific as possible, the very best thing you can do is get vaccinated. And that that would be my biggest take home for your listeners. Get your flu shot. It's not too late, but but get it as soon as possible. Get the COVID vaccine if you are at risk. I personally recommend it for anyone over 65 and think anyone who's uh, uh, an adult should consider it. I'm an adult doctor. Um, And RSV, you know, I I agree that with the CDC recommendations that people should talk to their doctor about whether they think they should get it. I personally recommend it for anyone over 75 and anyone with chronic lung disease. Um, You know, these are these vaccines are really the best way to protect yourself, much better than just a mask. All right. Great information, doctor. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Anytime, Mark. There's Dr. Joshua Septimus from Houston Methodist. That's going to do it for the podcast. Check out all the other ones wherever you got this one. Related to your Houston Texans at Cincinnati Sunday at noon. Sports Radio 610 and the Bull 100.3 FM have it for you. And I cannot wait. I know you feel the same. Have a great day. Go Texans.